The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. It's a big week here on the show. There's tons of call-ups going on. It is call-up season, Lance. Oh, yeah, Lance Brozdowski is here with me, of course. It's been a big week for personal news as well. What's going on, man? How's it going? Ooh, big show. Big show. It's going to be a good one. I'm, I'm excited for this one. A little Friday night recording. We're a little more up-to-date with things we usually do at Thursday night. So uh, yes. this will come out Saturday morning. And uh, yeah, I don't know, Ralph. It's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited for this one, man. we got a lot of call-ups. A lot of news, a lot of uh, Cardinal looks, Brandon McKay update. We're going to do a little Robo Strike Zone impact and then go into the 5x5. So rundown of the show as usual is uh, pretty fluid, and we hope it keeps everyone pretty engaged. Uh, Ralph, what are the looks? Have you got any looks recently? What are you thinking of doing? we got 11 games or so left in the minor league season, and it's uh, it's <laughs> unbelievable. It's flown by. I'm, I'm planning a week next week of, of traveling around and hitting up like three or four games. Awesome. So I'm it. trying to make it happen next week. I couldn't make it happen this week. Uh, I had to go to New York for Andy Singleton's wedding last hey, Saturday. Congrats to him! Yeah, exactly. Got back kind of late. Lo- wrote my article really late after getting back from a wedding in New York. You know how <laughs> crazy of a day that is. So yeah, I, I I wasn't able to make any games on Sunday. New job and super busy working a little bit later, so I haven't been able to get out. But what I have been able to do is watch a lot of games on MILB TV. Mm-hmm. I know it's not the same, but it still allows me to see players. I can actually see what they look like. Um, haven't caught anybody like super, like super interesting this week though. I have to say there was nobody that I watched that I was like blown away with, um, a lot of boring games. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. You run into it every now and then, unfortunately, man, you know? Yeah, nobody, nobody that's really like jumped out to me. So, uh, I didn't have anything there, but we did actually have 
some prospect watches during the week at the major league level. Yes, and, which is always uh, fun. Exactly. I think the most exciting, we have the most surprising and the most exciting. I'm going to leave with lead with the most exciting. I guess as long as you're not a Braves fan, it's the most exciting. We'll get <laughs> into that in a minute. But Michael Kopeck was called up to the big club. He started with Chicago against the Minnesota Twins, if I remember correctly. Uh, in a rained shortened outing, unfortunately, Mother Nature uh, stopped us from seeing a full Kopech, uh, uh, a gem or potential meltdown. We don't really know. He went two innings, uh, had gave up three hits, couple of them soft bloop hits. One of them was like a, like a, like a, almost like a bunt hit sw- check swing that landed between the catcher and the pitcher. Um, uh, no walks, uh, at all, which I thought was surprising though. At times, he did miss pretty big with the off-speed stuff, but the fastball was tremendous. Four Ks in that one, 35 uh, strikes on 52 pitches. Did you see some of Kopech's start, Lance? Yes, I did. I was actually at a game, so I didn't get a chance to see it, but I came back and watched all the highlights, and it was very easy to watch only two innings very quickly and breeze through of it. Of course. Um, thoroughly impressed, number one. Number two, I love seeing guys like this at the major league level because we get to then dig into all the data on baseball savant and Brooks baseball when it kicks through. All this is... I love, love, love looking at this because minor league teams are getting this data. Like an organization can go down to New Hampshire and pull up Vladdy's exit velo whenever they want. But we publicly cannot get this data. And the only time we can get it is when a major leaguer, when a minor leaguer, excuse me, hits the major leagues. So we've been, we've heard a Kopech has an 80-grade fastball, one of the few in the top 100, to whatever. One of the few in the minor leagues to have an 80-grade fastball. And no one really knew why. Good command? No, not really. It was really a lively, sure, but you couldn't really actually put an objective data point to it. And now we can do that. We could set him up on Baseball Savant and see that he's in the 99th percentile of spin rate on four-seam fastballs. He's above Justin Verlander. He's only below guys like Carl Edwards and a couple others who are, again, relievers. And we're looking at a starter pitcher, starting pitcher not averaging 97 miles per hour right around their per fan graphs on his four-seam fastball. This thing is is unbelievable as a pitch. I I hadn't seen too much of his um, Charlotte days. I always liked him a lot, a uh, Kopech, obviously, but I just it's it's hard to tangibly put a, an objective data point on something like this when you're watching it. It's hard to discern spin rate on pitches, and when we see it objectively, it's great. I I'm just hyped about Kopech. I love everything I saw. I think that they mentioned a few times that they didn't they didn't like the differential on his changeup to fastball velocity wise, but I get that. But it doesn't matter. It's a seven percent. It's it's like a seven mile per hour. Excuse me, dip between the two eight right in that window, which is in the seven to ten mile per hour window everyone's used to. Usually you look yeah. at ten percent, and you see the whiffs. This just means it's probably going to be more of a ground ball pitch. And if I'm Kopech, I'm going to use this changeup a lot against left-handed hitters to allow myself to get out of innings earlier. Use the changeup as a basically a hard two-seam fastball in the no center guard style of things. I thoroughly impressed with Kopech. The raw in his fastball is amazing. The drop on his slider is just is filthy. Um, yeah, it's there was like a, a curveball. It's insane. It's just I was so impressed. I, I'm really, really happy that we were pretty, everyone was pretty affirmed about him being um, possibly the top pitching prospect in baseball. I know there's some people that had Whitley above. I know that I kind of flipped him with you earlier in the year, but I, I have to say I regret that now. I, I think I should have stayed on Kopech. I've always been on Kopech, and I just I wavered a little bit when I saw that, but I want, I want Kopech over Whitley. You tell me to take one or the other right now, I'm going Kopech. Yeah, I think he's more major league ready too, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff we had to unpack with Whitley between yes. the injuries yep. and the suspension. It's been a really strange year for the kid. I want to write him off. I still think that they're neck and neck in terms of what the future potential value when you project out these two guys long-term, um, but Kopech's here, right? We can see him. 
it's much more tangible, like you said, when we get some of that spin rate data and some of the other stuff. And I think the only thing that we can really go off of when we don't have the numbers and, and of course, the, the, the actual stat cast, you know, track man data behind it is, you know, when a guy has a fastball that he, you know, throws and it's effective mm-hmm. high in the zone and gets a lot of swings and misses when it is thrown high in the zone or maybe a little bit above the zone. That's, you know, typically um, indicative of uh, a pitcher that has a high spin rate on his fastball. So I guess there's some things like that that we can look at, but we can't really measure it. And it's just one of these things where we're like guessing, right? So, and we, and we can't really write articles or, or stand um, firmly uh, in, in a belief, if we don't really have the actual measurements in this day and age, maybe that could have flown, you know, 20 years ago, uh, but nobody was talking about spin rate then. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a moot point, but either way. Yeah. Very exciting. I thought, uh, Michael Kopech looked very good. He was sweating like a hog in the first inning though. <laughs> I've never seen somebody like he was like a professional wrestler. Or all like, Chapman style. <laughs> oh my God. Beyond that, it was like, it was like, think about like, uh, did you ever watch like wrestling when you were a kid? It was I like, did, like, yeah, a little bit. Triple H is like mm-hmm. wet hair or something. Like, like Shawn probably, Michaels. Right? Yeah, right. It looks like he was sprayed up before he like went. That's what Kopech looked like. He looked like a professional wrestler that was pitching. He just happened to have feel. You know, sometimes I felt he lost uh, uh, feel on the fastball. There were times where he kind of just like overthrew it. Only like two or three times, and it was like an obvious ball. As long as it doesn't get past his catcher, he's fine. Um, the other thing I noticed was the changeup is still really inconsistent. But he threw one changeup that I know mm. got gifted up by a few people. Oh including, yeah, including, uh, pitching ninja that that thing had some serious dive and run on it. And yep. if if he can consistently get that sort of action on that pitch, wow! Game I mean, over. that's going to take him to another stratosphere. I know we were we were chatting, and we'll talk about this in in a few moments. We were chatting. Uh, with Jason Woodell and we were, we were getting kind of in depth or maybe not totally in depth, but talking a little bit about what our thoughts were on Kopech and, and he thinks he's still a reliever. I I don't know at all. I think this guy's a starter. I think he's got the mentality. I think he's got the makeup. He's got the body. He's got the build. He's got the stuff. Um, and, and I think eventually everything in terms of the command will get to a point where it allows him to really harness that arsenal and, and use it, um, and become the ace that we I think we've all sort of projected Kopech could become. So uh, it's funny that there's still people that are in the two camps. But, yeah, I thought it was exciting. It was a great start. Moving along here with MLB uh, promotions and, I guess, a quick demotion. The Braves have done this twice now. They did it with Tukey uh, last mm-hmm. week. This week they promoted Bryce Wilson, like, on a, on a whim, it almost seemed like. Like three hours later, this kid was on an MLB mound from when the news broke that he was uh, promoted from triple a Gwinnett. So Bryce Wilson, he goes a little bit longer. The rain did not stop him five innings, only three hits, uh, no earned runs as well. Three walks, five K's 87 pitches, uh, 62 of those strikes. I thought he looked really good. He was relying heavily on the fastball. I think it was about 70% fastball usage. And then in split, I think the difference between the changeup and the curveball, if I'm not mistaken, is he a slider guy? Uh, I think he's a slider guy. Let me check. He is a slider guy. That's why as soon as it came out of my mouth, I corrected myself. But anyway, so uh, and we we were looking at the fastball, like the the second inning and the the fastball was sitting like 96. I mean, sitting 96 consistently, like five or six consist like straight 96 mile Mm -hmm. per hour fastballs. Wow. This kid's stuff is electric. I think it's going to play up in short stints if they decide to use him in a relief role. He was demoted back to Gwinnett, uh, as was Tukey. He made a start last night and looked uh, tremendous again. Tukey, that is. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Wilson? I'm guessing when rosters expand, 
uh, Wilson, Tukey, uh, as well as Wright are all going to be on the 40-man roster um, and are going to get some starts or some bullpen looks uh, with the Braves. I didn't see too much of the start, honestly. I got a little, obviously, more of a look at Kopech. But I, I was digging through the first two innings, I think, or so, of Wilson's. I liked it. I thought he was pretty good. I thought he fared well. Number one, he's extremely young. And the fact that he's able to go up and pitch five innings, strike out five, walk three. It's, it's a reasonable start. Wasn't blown away by his stuff. I think he's kind of a, maybe a guy who rides that command stuff border as opposed to being like a pure overpowering guy like a Kopech or more of a pure finesse guy like, say, like a Bueller almost. But... I, I liked what I saw. I think that you have to be encouraged by the age here. I think that you have to be, again, if you're a brace fan, just be encouraged by the actual development of pitchers like this. He's, I mean, I think I said he was – he's 20. He's 20, excuse me. So uh, um, I liked him. I thought he was pretty good. I mean, I thought that the changeup had good fade. I would have liked to have seen more of the off-speed. I think he looks like Fangar saying he threw on 70% fastballs. So, um, But, yeah, it did sit. The fastball looked good. It was around uh, – they have it averaged at 95. We did see a top out of 97 uh, in the game per the stadium scoreboard or whatever feed was being tossed in for miles per hour on the on the feed from the Pirates or Braves network. Um, but I liked him. I liked him. I, I wasn't blown away. Um, I'd probably have a lot of trouble ranking uh, some of these Braves arms, honestly. This is like something I was gonna that, ask It's tough, man. I, I like – top five Braves uh, God. I, I still want to go Soroka 1, right? Like I think that's still kind of sitting in my window in my wheelhouse there. I yeah. really like Ian Anderson, but I probably wouldn't be able to bring him up to two or three, so I'd probably keep him around four. I want to go maybe Bryce Wilson two at this point. I think Allard's probably uh, he's probably five-ish to me now. I think I like Ian Anderson probably a little bit more, and then I'm probably missing someone at three. Tukey is probably right in that Allard window, maybe a little better. I don't know how many... Yeah, maybe the splitter. I, I like his mix. His mix was a little better, I think, than Bryce Wilson, who's pretty much going to survive fastball yeah, slide change. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Wright. That's the one I'm missing. I'd go Kyle Wright three. So basically, Sorka. Gohara. Do you want? Can we throw oh, Gohara? I forgot about him. <laughs> He's aged out of the prospect conversation. Oh man, I'll probably go Sorka, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Gohara, Ian Anderson, Allard. Nah, a large Tucson, I guess, with some gaps there. So not purely ranking those uh, one through seven or so there. But that's tough, Ralph. I don't know. They're so close and they develop these guys so well. And Joey Wentz is in that picture too. I know you're not – I don't think you're the biggest Joey Wentz guy. I've always liked Joey Wentz from the left side no. though. But um, um, but man, Bryce Wilson and the, and the Braves just pump out prospects. And uh, this is fun. I like seeing a lot of these young guys. I think that there's some other teams, specifically the Cardinals, who brought up guys like uh, Gomer and Ponce de Leon and stuff who are not nearly the same caliber of prospects as the Braves guys, but are still able to kind of fit into a major league rotation and toss some innings that are productive. And we get looks at them, and I, I, I love getting looks at guys like this, especially when they come up for a second time and you can see the improvements they made. You know, you can check out, see if any of the differentials in their pitches change, if they've adjusted anything, release point adjustments. It's, it's fun. I really like getting this data at the major league level. So that's kind of what I nerd out over Ralph. Michael Chavis up to AAA now, and I believe he homered tonight on August 24th. Um, this is a pretty big promotion. He's a guy, I believe, who was suspended um, last year or earlier this year, earlier this year for perfor- performance-enhancing yeah, drug use. Games, I think. And I believe from what I understand that he feverishly is denying that it was basically he doesn't know where it came from. So, I mean, give or, give or take that um, on your own volition in terms of how you feel about Chavis. But um, looks really good. It's always been – I remember last fall league, he was the guy who everyone said had some of the loudest BP. It's loud contact. It's probably hit over power. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there. But it's fun. I mean, Chavez is a guy who is uh, – I think he's fallen out a lot of top 100s and maybe wrongfully so. Um, 
I, he's good. The kid's good. I think that a lot of people yeah. figured there was going to be a tail off after this suspension, but he's clearly come back. And I think he's a major league caliber guy. Maybe a little bit interesting in terms of where he fits in the Red Sox infield. Obviously, how stacked that team is. But I think that's more of a next year problem than a current year problem. He gets about 11 or so games now up in AAA, where he'll probably debut next year. So your thoughts on Chavis quickly, Ralph. Yeah, so uh, Chavis is one of these guys that, I mean, obviously, you know, when you get the PED suspension, everybody wants to sort of go tisk tisk and, yeah. and <laughs> kind of point their finger and say, hey, you know, I, I don't trust this anymore. What is this guy? I kept him. I had him within my top 50. I really like Chavis, and I think we've seen him return to that form. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I had him at 104, so I had dropped him just outside of the top 100. I dinged him a little bit for the PEDs. He obviously hadn't played at all uh, at that point when I had released it or might have just started playing some, like, rehab games. I think he had a couple of games in, like, the lower minors before he finally went back up to Portland. Um, But I was like, wait and see. I figured I'd bump him down a little bit kind of hangs in that that range where I could move him up or down. And uh, he's definitely moving back up. And I'll tell you, since July 8th, so you throw out like the first week or so of the season. So I guess uh, when I released this, he had been back for maybe two weeks. Okay, so now that, that dates everything. So since mm-hmm. July 8th, coming into tonight's game where he had a homer, and from my reports by somebody that was at the game that uh, follows me on Twitter and was sending me uh, live tweets about the game, uh, he said he just missed a homer in his first at bat by like five feet. So mm-hmm. he almost homered in his first two at bat. So anyway, he's in Buffalo tonight against five. Not a, not a bad game to take in, by the way. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to my point. Since July 8th, Chavez is slashing 342, 427, 605, seven homers. That's 114 at bats. He's got a 22% K rate. That's very manageable when you consider the power that he has. Uh, and a 10.7%, so a tick under 11% walk rate. That's 188 WRC plus over that time. Uh, 10 of those games were at uh, first base. The other 18 were at third and then a couple of games at DH. So he's, uh, you know, more or less splitting time between the two uh, infield corner positions. I guess he plays, you know, an okay first base. I don't think he's great because he's not all that tall. Um, but he's able to be, you know, somewhat t- manageable at that at, at the position there. So I don't think that's all, all that bad. But yeah, all, all in all, I mean, he's a bat first guy. So that's really what you're you're, you're hanging your hat on. Um, good to see him immediately have results in AAA, and I guess it's good to see him bounce back uh, pretty well. I mean, considering mm-hmm. he was more or less repeating the level, uh, and his stuff did tick down a little bit last year at AA, but he came back up like he back out like he was shot out of a cannon. And I mean, those first few weeks after Dahlbeck was promoted, uh, he and Dahlbeck were really teaming up and, and mashing in the Eastern League. So mm-hmm. uh, good, good to see. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's a guy that maybe gets some September call-up looks. I don't know if you, if you think that's possible or not. I mean, it, it's possible only because, you know, uh, Raphael Devers has obviously been injured. Um, and there are, there is a need for infielders, you know, across the board uh, in Boston and a guy that can hit would, would be welcomed, especially if they can rest some of these guys down the stretch. So it wouldn't shock me if he got like 30, 40 at bats at the major league level this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know? like it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Libertor. Yeah, anyway, another oh, one. Yeah, another right. one here. I was going to say. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was trying so, to transition uh, there. Libertor and McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays organization, obviously first round draft picks. Or McClanahan was supplemental, right? Eh, he's in that window. We'll say he's the top forty. He was, he was supplemental. Year. Supplemental. Both promoted up to Princeton, which I believe is the short season ball team. If I'm remembering correctly, Princeton Rays. No. Are off. 
No. They're not short season. They're class A. No, no, no. Low A. Uh, Hudson Hudson Valley. That is uh, that is a uh, uh, advanced rookie ball. That's the team. Okay, that okay, okay. Franco is on. Got uh, it. Got it. So okay. Just a step up. That's the Appy League. Cool. Okay. So he's, they're out okay, in the Appy League now. Thing. They're um, in the playoffs. They're in the play. That's good. That's really good. And Libertor, I believe, the other day actually threw five innings with eight strikeouts. That was before this promotion, I believe. So um, obviously and, he's been pitching unbelievably well. And McClanahan actually threw tonight. He uh, continued his scoreless streak. I think he had only thrown three innings in uh, three different uh, one-inning stints in the GCL. Hadn't allowed a run. He went three innings for Princeton tonight. He did not allow a run. I think it might have been zeros across the board. I have to double-check the line. Uh, but he, once again, another guy that was looking good. Mm-hmm. Nice to see that uh, both of them so far have uh, really taken to pro ball, you know? Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I, I like these. This is kind of promotion time. A lot of a lot of kind of auditions for the next level that a lot of these guys will start at come next year in terms of some early Midwest, Midwest League looks, Appy League looks, et cetera, for a lot of these guys being promoted. Ryan Weathers, a quick another one, was promoted up to the Tin Caps, actually. Um, that coincided with the move to San Mackenzie Gore to the DL with a fingernail issue. He's on the DL for the third time this year. Doesn't look like a blister issue. It looks like a fingernail issue. So I'm going to try to connect with the guys over in Fort Wayne and figure out what exactly that might be from. They've been really closed off with a lot of those issues, though. So um, I won't be surprised if I come back with absolutely no information. But Ryan Weathers is going to be one of my five by five so i'm gonna hold off any thoughts on him but he is up to fort wayne in a very stacked rotation when gore was in there for a second it was gore ryan weathers luis patino and osvaldo hernandez which i think you could almost argue is probably one of the better minor league rotations across all of minor league baseball in terms of just having four guys who are just dealing um but now we get no gore and we get weathers in there so maybe that was kind of a move they saw coming just to give weathers a little bit of a look here he'll probably start i bet in, in the midwest league with fort wayne next year as well um, I'm going to try to get a look at him next week, next Thursday or Friday night, depending on how their starters line up. Still haven't got a look at Patino either, which is very annoying, but um, I am planning on that. I know one of our good buddies, Jason Panini, I believe, is getting a look at Patino today, so hopefully we will um, try to vocalize some of his thoughts in a way that isn't actually telling you his thoughts, because I don't think he's allowed to give them out, because he is employed by a major league organization, which I don't want to say who or what, but Jason is a great guy. Definitely follow him on Twitter. Um, I believe he's at Jason Panini, P-E-N-N-I-N-I. Yeah, that's him. Hey, he's not even tweeting out because he's employed. Right, whatever, but Ralph, some now terrible you're like calls. outing people. I know, I don't know, man. Your handle up. You kept digging it deeper, man. Oh, I know, I goodness. dug the don't hole. Give up I... All right. Hey, I wanted to mention uh, September call-ups are right around the corner. We have probably about a week, so we could touch on this a little bit more in depth. I think we'll probably see some of these guys maybe even called up uh, as we come up to the next episode, but I wanted to touch on it briefly here because this might be the last time that some of the folks that listen to the show, Lance yes. have an opportunity to maybe put in, uh, bids on these guys before yeah, they're true. called up in September. If they're trying to maybe stash some guys in weekly leagues that have weekly fab that maybe runs on a Saturday, a Sunday, or even a Monday. Um, so maybe give me two guys. Do you have two guys off the top of your head that you think will get the call in September that potentially could make an impact. Can I defer this to you first? Yeah, I guess I did kind of, I did kind of put you on the spot with this one. You did. I'm like thinking right now. I'm like, who do I think maybe I don't want to say Vlad. I don't think Vlad's coming up. So he's not, I don't think Vlad's coming up either. Do you think Eloy's coming up? Oh, I'm going to opt for, ah, yeah, I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I'm going to say, I'm not going to go in the middle. I'm going to say yes or no. Um, what about Justice Sheffield? Yes, I think Justice Sheffield is going to come up. I just don't know how much of an impact he's really going to have. Right? I see. I've, I've actually – that's true. That's another very good point. I actually really like him though in terms of uh, what Me I've too. seen of him. And I think he's really K-O-E interesting. Stuff. 
It is and very, that, very that tough. Park, granted, yep. he is a lefty in that park, so that helps a little bit yep. historically with those dimensions, I guess, because I guess it's the same as the old park. So with those, usually the left-handed thing helps a little bit. He's got a good arsenal if he's landing all his pitches, you know. And I know that I think Cashman had alluded to the fact that he's coming up. The thing is, I think Han had alluded to the fact that they might bring Eloy up. Like he he didn't close the door on it. And I, I, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why they would do it, you know? Yeah, and they can play with service time all they want. Like, I mean, you could just wait them down that month because I don't think they're really the White Sox are going to be contending next year. So bringing Eloy sure. up, give him a start, start now. He's going to dominate probably spring training, and then you're going to have to answer to all your fans as to why he's not out. But I was just listening <laughs> to Effectively Wild podcast, and they make a good point. Is like fans often complain about the September call-ups, but in the long term, once the guy's actually up in the major league, there's really no, like – detriment to the team i don't think financially i don't think uh image wise at all since it's just more a matter of i think everyone is just very present value minded we want things now we want them now therefore why isn't eloy up but in reality it's it's just tough to see the big picture it's tough to see the big picture of why eloy is still down there and the reasoning is is that you need that year of service time on him he's i think he's 22 or something like that so that that sixth or seventh year of or seventh year of him will be um, right in that window of uh, of 28, 29, which is just kind of just after that peak. Most guys will peak at especially his profile, I believe. So, and this goes back to the flat argument too. It's like I, I was talking with someone the other day. Um, I think he was a Met fan about Peter Alonso, and one of the reasons Alonso isn't up because of his defense. And everyone's like, no, it's service time based. And the argument against that, against it being service time based, is the fact that if the Mets are waiting, the season they'd get out of Peter Alonso is his age 30 season. They don't care about his age 30 season. Like, no one's going to care about a lumbering first baseman's age 30 season. Like, the decline based off aging curves is very low. So, it doesn't really matter. They're actually concerned about his defense, whereas a guy like Vlad, that's a pure service time play. So, getting into a little bit of depth here in terms of, uh, in terms of actual service time manipulation. But I think, I think there's incentive to bring Eloy up now and then hold him down in April, essentially. So, I'll go with him. Um... What about, what about a guy that's already been up, though, Ralph? What about a guy like Kyle Tucker, who's hitting really well back down in Fresno right now? He's an interesting one because yeah, we got a weird say. sample of him at the major league level with a lot of very odd ticks here and there. We didn't really get a general impression. But whenever he goes back down to AAA, this kid just mashes. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I think he's going to be a guy that's going to have uh, some relevancy in terms of September call-ups. The one I wanted to throw at you, sure. um, Jesus Lazardo, I think, yes, is still yes. the mix. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a chance they could shut him down. I don't think they're going to shut him down. I really don't. I think they're going to stretch him out and use him maybe as a bullpen guy or give him spot starts here and there. Any of the Braves guys, I think Kyle Wright yep. could potentially come up and make two starts, and he could be valuable if you're able to stream starters or pick up a guy like that and keep him on your bench. I think he's going to get called up. Um, another guy that well, they more or less said that he's going to get called up. Another guy that comes to the top of the mind to me, and he's hit well. And I think that he's picking up steam as he's been on a very hot streak lately. And that's uh, the Padres' Louis Urias. He's spent a ton of time mm, at AAA now between the last couple of years. You know, he spent his time in the minors. There was nothing left for this guy to prove. They can call him up in September. They can, you know, maybe not play him every day, but play him for a good chunk of the time. They're not going to necessarily – he's not going to surpass his service time. He's not going to hurt any of that. I do think – he breaks camp next year. I, I, I really do. I don't even think they push him back. To see how not. I, think, yeah. I think he breaks camp because I think his defense, everything is too good. I think they're just going to be ready. And it's going to be one of those things where he comes up toward the end of the year. 
you know, plays for a few weeks, looks really good. And everyone's just like, all right, this guy's, you know, this guy's breaking camp. Maybe they try to sign him to an extension, like a Kingery thing or something like that. It's possible they could do that. I don't know. It's, it, uh, he's a guy that I think will come up to the major leagues and will do stuff like he, he you know, it, it's not unbelievable power though. It is getting better. Mm-hmm. It's not unbelievable speed, but he, he, he's a good second baseman. He's not going to make any mistakes or he can play short as well. And he can hit. He just puts the bat in the ball and he makes things happen in the National League and in the major leagues. Now, if you have good quality of contact, your power is going to take up a little bit and you're going to be able to make things happen. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, potentially could boost people, especially if they're looking for you know, a little little bit of batting average help uh, late in the season. I think Urias might be a good grab. I, I just don't know if the pot 100 percent call him up. Urias is slashing 294, 396, 445 right now. You mentioned that power boost. His ISO is almost doubled from last year. Last year he played 118 games with Double A San Antonio, and this year it's 116 games with El Paso. He has eight home runs versus three home runs year-over-year comparison. The striker rate is up 8%, which is, is substantially higher than what he's ever given in his career. Yeah, I think that could like be a product, it. yes. And I think that, again, this is a component that is going back to the power side of thing. I think I saw this on Kirkon's Twitter, but the pure just adjustment of him adding the strikeouts with this high of a walk rate around 13% for him right now, I think that's completely fine to get him back to like yeah. an average passable ISO number. And like you yeah. can you've legitimately see him at the major league level right now as like a 360 OBP guy, I think right off the bat, 370, you know, with the walk rate. And maybe he fronts into some power. Maybe he ends up with like a 15 home run bat. And this, there's value in this. I'm thinking a lot of leagues, a lot of formats. He's a guy who's going to put up a ton, a ton, a ton of runs at the top of an order. Maybe not the most for the team like the Padres, who are going to struggle probably to produce on the offensive side to start. But I, I like him. I think it's very hard not to like him. And I, White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago. With a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. I mean, another guy, too, you may even more, maybe want to consider is a guy like Francisco Mejia, who's hitting unbelievably well again. And I think, again, can be, I mentioned this, I believe, on prior podcasts, just a formidable one, too. Or I don't know how the Preller wants to structure their order, but these two guys can feasibly have 370 and up. OBPs in another couple of years at the top of orders, which is unbelievable. 40% of the time you're telling me that, you know, these two guys, one of these two guys is going to get on base, you know, both walking up to the plate with near 400 on base percentages. It's, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic start for the Padres rebuild. I really like it. And I think Uris is an integral component to that, Ralph. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, obviously. And that's why I think he's going to be a big September call-up. By the way, I want to mention something, Lance. Is it all right if we move of on course, from the yeah. September no, call-ups? Any, any guys that came to mind no. while we were bullshitting? That was good. I think that was, a good, uh, that was a good bullshit uh, session. <laughs> all right, good. All right. Anyway, I wanted to uh, mention some big news. It broke on Twitter this week. Uh, I think everyone behind the scenes sort of knows. I wrote down, I wrote about it uh, in my post and in, in, uh, in, in sort of the bottom area where I put in my, my links. So I have to say, it feel like it really slows down this time of year, like in terms of the amount of comments and just sort of action yeah, with baseball. Everyone moves to football. Late, mm-hmm. late August, everyone is on football, man. They, are, they don't care. They don't care about baseball right now. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, I wanted to announce on the podcast formally that, uh, yes, it is true. Uh, I, as well as Lance, as well as Jason Woodell, as well as Matt Thompson and some others have started – a new site for prospects uh, by the name of Prospects Live. It's going to be up uh, under prospectslive.com, but we're in the midst of building a site. I will say the Twitter account is active. The YouTube account is active. We're trying to get some live looks and post that stuff and build up a little bit. Uh, I want to thank all the fans that have already followed us on Prospect or at Prospects Live. Um, we've already reached the 1K mark in a little bit over 48 hours, which I think is just an absolutely uh, – tremendous testament to you know how wonderful our following is amongst uh, the four or five of us and our whole point of, of why we started this is we want to have really focused prospect content based on live looks a lot of multimedia content whether it be podcasts whether it be video whether it just be you know written scouting reports for you to dig through and really get some uh, understanding and nuance to prospects and all these players that are in the minor leagues and I guess, you know, how it impacts just your favorite team or your fantasy team, your dynasty team. And I think we're going to try to slant it to balance a little bit of both. Um, you know, I want to mention, too, that it doesn't mean we're going to be leaving Rasball. We're going to keep the podcast right here. We're just going to tie it into what we're doing over at Prospects Live. And the same thing with the post that we have. We're going to have a Prospect Live post as opposed to Ralph or, you know, Ralph's going to post post some prospect live stuff. I'm talking in the third person, like I'm Bob Dole. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, you know, it, we're not going to move away. We're going to part with Razball. you know, Gray and Rudy were awesome about, it. they were really supportive, uh, but it's an awesome new venture. I'm really excited about it. It's everything I've ever wanted to do is built this website. So, uh, hopefully we'll have the content in the website, pumping some stuff out within a month or so, um, getting some late season stuff in time for the Arizona fall league. We have some good folks that are going to be out there in the fall league and some people that we know they're going to be giving us sort of uh, some behind the scenes information, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hopefully that helps us to provide, you know, the absolute best content for you guys. And uh, I'm excited about it because I think it's going to take a lot of what we've been doing and sort of bring it to the next level um, when it's not going to necessarily be 100 percent fantasy focused, but we'll be able to dig in on some other things a little bit more. Uh, that might just be a minor league thing or a reporting thing, or, you know, you can go to a mechanics thing or whatever it might be. Um, and not necessarily have to tie it back to fantasies. It'd be kind of cool. So I'm excited for what we're going to be able to do here. Uh, it looks like people are excited. Lance, I don't know if you want to mention anything about it. No, I just think it's an awesome banding together of people who've, who've done unbelievable work between you, Jason, the other Jason Panini, um, potentially. And, uh, um, and Matt Thompson too. I'm, I just think it's a great group of guys that, we're really, really excited to, to kind of band together, tie together, and produce some content and bring all our content together and help each other out and create a base because we've all been doing it individually for a very long time. That's just – it's great. It's great to collaborate. It's great to bring everything together and mesh a ton of minds together that we think have some pull in the industry, have some pull in the prospect space. I mean, you know, this podcast is going to be becoming 
Um, the Razzball Prospect Podcast is going to be powered. We were joking around pre-show, powered by Prospects Live. We're going we're gonna to keep it on this feed and everything, so nothing's going to change in terms of this. But we'll just be kind of embedding it within posts on the site. And we'll also have more podcasts, which I'm sure we'll be promoting on this. But the structure of this podcast isn't going to change. We're, we're kind of just rebranding it a little bit. And, uh, you know, we really like the audience we have here, and we don't think that it, we don't think it'd be beneficial to us to kind of move it. You know, we really want to stay with the platform Rasball Hexes. I think we really appreciate all the help that Rudy and Gray have given us over the years and stuff. And we don't really want that to, to go anywhere. And we want you guys to stay and continue listening. We also want you guys to check out Prospects Live. So at Prospects Live on Twitter, me and Ralph, of course, are always on Twitter. The website, the website, excuse me, will be Prospects Live. And if you have any questions, ask Prospects Live at gmail.com is the email for the account. YouTube channel, if you search Prospects Live and you scroll down a little bit we are right there i think we have a couple 20 or so subscribers we got a logo coming we got a lot of things coming so it's all a matter of time before this kind of t-shirts i think t-shirts too by kenny the man kenny um and we're excited it's gonna be great man i'm really excited for this yeah yeah big things big things are in the works but anyway other guys that have started a new venture a, a new professional venture and have done very well for themselves have big things in the works that will be one Nolan Gorman, he's got five homers. He's got two homers tonight. Uh, we're recording this on Friday night, as we said. So this is hot, fresh out the oven when you <laughs> get this on Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, depending upon what your time zone is. Uh, hey. But he's got five homers in his last seven games, like I said, two tonight. That's his second multi-homer game in uh, A-ball already. What are your thoughts on Gorman? Now, you got to see Gorman. Yes, I did. I was in um, Kane County for the first time, actually. Uh, one of the kind of more secluded Midwest League parks, but I got to see Peoria. I actually talked to Nolan Gorman, which was really cool. We had a nice conversation. I'm doing a little video package for Viva Albertos, so that'll be out middle of the week, and I'll have a calm on him as well. I actually ran into Nolan's grandparents as well and was talking to them, so um, just had a lot of fun at the game. It was pretty funny. And uh, But Gorman is Gorman's really interesting, man. He's, he's a young kid. He's 18. Um, his body is, is really, really solid in terms of his structure. Um, I think he's about a 40 speed guy, 40, 50, possibly just right around average to maybe slightly below in terms of his mobility and stuff. So, um, but it's good. It's good to see that mobility with a guy with this much power. And the fact that I also don't think it'll deteriorate in terms of his speed is a very good thing. His hands on the ins- inner third of the plate are lightning. This is something that I've, I think we've all thought about since he turned on that pitch to Mason Denenberg and, uh, against Mason Denenberg in last year's perfect game. I actually asked him about that. I asked him if he remembered what he remembered about that Homer. And he was joking that he's actually friends with Denenberg. They played apparently together on a team. Team. And one of his buddies was joking prior to that game that he would actually hit home run off Denenberg, which he in fact did. And it was an absolute bomb. And his buddy was right. So we, we got a good laugh over that. But yeah, again, two home runs tonight. Really funny. But his parents are actually coming into town in Peoria, I believe. I don't know if they're at the game on Friday night. So I don't know if they saw these two home runs, but I know it would be later this weekend. And I will be getting another look Sunday at him as well and another individual. Um, he's slashing 222, 283, 481 since the promotion from Johnson, Johnson City to Peoria. 38% strike already has kicked up a bit. And I think that's a product of him seeing more left-handed pitching. I asked him about that too. And he said that's more of a reps-based thing. He thinks that's just with time and reps against left-handed pitching against good left-handed pitching. And the fact that once you get up higher into levels, you see more left-handed pitching because it tends to kind of run through systems quicker as opposed to sitting a bunch of righties and A-ball and, and Appy League or lower than that, excuse me. Um, 
So, uh, I mean, it's interesting, man. I, I like Gorman a lot. I still think that in first-year player drafts, you have to go with some of the college bats over Gorman. I think that there's going to be a lot of embedded Ks. I think it's going to take some time for him to progress. But the Cardinals have been pretty aggressive so far. I know we were talking timetable with him. I've heard he's more of a 2022 guy, maybe a 2021 guy, which is a couple years off. So it's not going to be one of those things where we're seeing, like, an Acuna-style 19-year-old, 20-year-old hitting the major league level. Like, there's development that has to go on with Gorman. I really hope it progresses well. The Cardinals have been very good with developing talent like this. They tend not to have too many power guys like this actually i feel like most of their guys they eventually run through the system a little bit more rounded players in terms of uh, the profile of hitter they are and player they are excuse me but gorman is definitely kind of a embedded swing and miss power bat the power is legit some take a nice double the other way um he's my first five by five so i guess this is kind of a five by five preview that i'm gonna have to skip over when we get there but uh um just really good it was great to see a look at him i've been looking forward to to seeing him swing for a while um and uh he looks great five home runs is again as you said his last seven games dylan cease ralph has been shut down for 2018 with an innings limit i was just looking at some of his swinging strike numbers actually from this year and he looks amazing uh and it's fun to look at those but uh but uh, this is more of a um, long-term thing for the white Sox. again going back to the eloy scenario what are your thoughts on the on the cease shutdown i you know i think it's the right thing to do uh i have Mm -hmm. no concerns with it as long as it's not rooted in an injury and they're just hiding it from us. Yeah, I have no problem with it. I'm fine with it. I figure at this point, there's no reason to push him any further. He's been tremendous uh, so far this year. He's really taken that uh, step from a guy with a ton of talent that hung around the back of like top 100 list. So I think, you know, a guy that's legitimately in the conversation for a top 10 fantasy baseball prospect in terms of pitching. Um, I think he has the stuff. Good year at double A. I think he's going to spend a majority of the next year in AAA. If the numbers are good and he, he repeats what he did this year and he stays healthy, yeah, I mean, he's about as good as there is in terms of what his potential ceiling is just because um, the stuff is so good. He misses so many bats. And, you know, if the, if the control and the health continue to, to, to trend in the right directions, I think, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of what this guy can max out at. You know, I don't even want to comp him to somebody because I feel that, you know, if everything really came comes together with C's, he's a guy that could be that good could, just because the stuff is so electric, you know, um, and it looks like he's learned how to pitch. I think I think that's a big part of it. And they've gotten the best year out of him he possibly could. So there's no reason to push it any further. You know, if they're not playing for anything. What are the next 20 innings he's going to throw, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so shut him down, get him on, you know. Um, whatever path you're going to have him on. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's a chance they, they have him throw those 30 innings in the Arizona fall league. Cause they feel like it might uh, have him ready for like a late year call up in, in 2019. But I think he's knocking on the door of the major leagues at this point. I agree with you there. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to Cease as well. Ryan Weathers, I did briefly mention was called up. I don't know why I'm going back to that in the notes here, but Ethan Hankins debuted for the Cleveland Indians after yeah. signing very, very, very late. Ralph, how did he do? He did. He did not too bad. And uh, after I update you on Hankins, I'll mention what uh, Chavez's final line was sure. for his uh, AAA debut because it's gone on because we've been talking for like four hours in this intro. Uh, <laughs> Ethan Hankins debuts. He only threw an inning, four hits, two earned runs, no walks, two Ks. Uh, but side note, outside of the numbers, scouting stuff, things that I heard from folks that were there. Uh, fastball 93, 96, also mixed, mixed in a curveball, a slider in a changeup, 
Um, they said he was hurt by a couple of infield hits and a double that was sliced down the line. So the performance was actually better than the numbers. I assume he was only scheduled to pitch one inning. Uh, maybe if he hadn't gotten into trouble, might have gone two. Uh, but that's nice to see. I think, you know, when you get the report back and the stuff that it, that it looked the way it did and that he was mix, mixing all four pitches, I love a four-pitch guy with, a, with an electric fastball. So uh, hopefully Hankins can sort of uh, tighten up a lot of the command stuff and I think some of the concerns that we've had and really harness that arsenal um, and take that next step. But I think there's a good chance he could. Um, you know, he's, he's, really, he's really, really exciting. And it's funny because I think mm-hmm. around this time last year, like the East Coast Pro and some of those things, he had really jumped onto the scene the same way uh, the uh, Georgia prep kid, uh, Daniel Espino, I don't know if you've seen him throw. I know yes. he threw a little bit in the oh, yeah. game. He's sort of, you know, similar to Hankins. I think, you know, Hankins obviously much bigger kid, different build, but electric stuff, big fastball, high 90s velocity and popping it off on the showcase circuit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hankins was a guy. I mean, he was projected to go in that kind of one, 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 five window for a bit, you know, in terms of the top five picks. And he was hitting ninety nine to one hundred back with USA Baseball, and that's obviously gone down a lot. Um, you have him here at ninety three, ninety six. So I, there's still hope with him. I mean, he's he's gonna take a while to develop. I think this is gonna be a project for them. But the reason he fell was because of signability, because no one really knew if he was gonna fulfill his commitment to Vandy. I believe so. He didn't. He ended up going pro, which is really interesting. I know there were some rumors that maybe he would go Juco route and be able to then reassign himself back into the draft after following only one year as opposed to the standard three rule for colleges. But uh, and Ethan Higgins is interesting, man. He throws really hard. He's got some funk to him. And I know that fastball had some of the greatest run that most people have seen through um, its Kopech-style Cop- run almost in terms yeah. of how that pitch used to look. Let's see if you can get it back there in terms of the velocity and everything else. But uh, – Hankins has definitely got to keep an eye on, as with many other guys from the 2018 draft. Ralph, Brendan McKay update time. I think it's I think uh, it's right now, right? It's yeah, <laughs> it's a low note this week too. Brandon oh. McKay did not have a great week. Oh. it was it was pretty bad. So this is rough. The, the pitching the pitching performance was not great. Only went uh, three and a third, two earned runs, five hits, four Ks, two walks. You know, in the short, in the short or small, the short start or the small sample size. I guess I'm I'm stuck on alliteration with uh, S words here, but uh, <laughs> you know, he gave up the five hits. Obviously, allowed the seven base runners. It's not not great. At least the control wasn't awful. He, at least he struck out four uh, four batters. Trying to look for the upside here because when you go to the plate, there's not much upside, buddy. Oh, for eight this week with two walks. So he got on base twice in 10 plate appearances, three K's scored one run. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, more and more, I'm thinking the bat <laughs> might struggle to keep up with the arm. Yeah. He may, he may get, he get, yeah. Wow. I'm stuttering. He may get moved to the uh, mound the full, full time. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really sure what they end up doing with McKay in terms of the long-term picture of him as a, as a hitter, I'd still like to see him as a hitter. Maybe he ends up being like a Michael Lorenzen kind of guy where there's still some value fleeting in the bat. But obviously in the A out, it's a little bit different. I know that everyone is interested in how the Rays are going to further innovate, whether they start bringing some competent relievers into the outfield and switching them around out there. I know that's been a, a funny kind of proposition that some people have brought up that I think is hilarious. But they're going to find a way. I mean, I, I believe in the Rays to find a way to value um, a guy that they be willing to push this far with mm. the bat and maybe not yeah. just completely abandon it but uh sure i don't think they will either but it also speaks to how great shohei otani is yes it absolutely does i think that's one of the more undersold points of this ralph how about some uh rotoware love well you know shohei otani in some ways might be the goat 
I don't know if that's true or not. I just wanted to call Shohei Otani the goat, but it's without a doubt, 100% factual that RotoWare is the goat when it comes to sports and fantasy related apparel and t-shirts. Cause I think he's going to be making more than just t-shirts. My man, Kenny has been bringing all the shirts over to his site. Now our promo code is still 20% off. If you use Sagnoff on the site, but it's only on the RotoWare shirts, so not on any of the RotoWare Classic stuff. If you want to get a discount on the RotoWare Classic stuff, I was talking to Kenny yesterday. We had a long conversation. He said, Ralph, if the people want to get discounts on the RotoWare Classic stuff, have them sign up for our mailing list. They'll get discount codes all the time. I send them out because ah. I'm a good guy. That's what Kenny does. So anyway, I want you to go over to RotoWare. I want you to check out some of the shirts. We've been talking about all the different designs that he's had for years. I think he's actually going to be phasing out some of the early stuff. So if you want some of those early first-generation shirts, like the Roto God shirt or the Commissioner, some of the stuff that came out like a year ago that's still like super, super, super fresh, I say go over there, order some of it now before it becomes like vintage Supreme apparel in like three years when Kenny has like boutique stores in all the hot spots throughout the world, because that's the <laughs> way he's building, man. I think this, this kid made a, made a big Al hits dingers t-shirt and it blew up so much that it's the most, uh, the highest selling shirt that he's ever had. And it only came out two weeks ago. That is unbelievable. I did not know yeah, that. But man. Kenny, man, Somebody's, the innovator. Yeah. I love it. I love hearing these stories. And I mean, he's so prompt with everything he puts out in terms of the things he sees in the sports world and how quickly he's able to turn it around. I know he had some stuff off the Hard Knock series on the Cleveland Browns on HBO. I'm pretty That's sure some- I bet that did well. And I mean, this big Al thing is amazing. Oh, yeah. I know that I saw some people kicking it around on Twitter and such and already got it out to people. Shipping time is fantastic. Sagnoff's the, road, the, the promo code, excuse me, for us if you go through his site, rotoware.com. But of course, the Rotoware Classic stuff, sign up through the newsletter. Reach out to Kenny if you want. I'm sure he'll be able to help you if you're if you're struggling. You want a little discount on something, or just tell us tell us Ralph and uh, tell him Ralph and Lance sent you, and I'm sure he'll be able to hook you up to some extent. But regardless, go buy some t-shirts. Rotoware.com at Kenneth underscore Cashman at Rotoware on Twitter. Let's move on to a, another short spiel before we go into our five by five, Ralph. So last week we Let's talked about it. the Nate Freeman column and how as you move up through the minor leagues from low A to triple A, the borderline strike call percentage, which is very simply a small, small portion of pitches around the zone, how likely they are to be called strikes decreases. What that means is that the zone gets tighter as you go up through the minor leagues. And this is incremental at each level. The biggest jumps are between basically two levels. So if you look at between high A and double A is, is one of the biggest jumps, but also low A to double A, high A to triple A. These are substantial 7 to 10% jumps that are noticeable. It's one in every 10 pitches, basically, is what Nate Freeman, who is a formal, former uh, athletics first baseman, I believe, big uh, big righty bat with a lot of swing and miss in him, but really cool yeah. guy. He's been doing some awesome stats research now, and I, I love seeing guys like this dig into the stats side of things after being players. But the thing I was thinking about, Ralph, and I want to just toss this to you, very quick, we're going to talk here a little bit about if they do a robotic zone, which is obviously something that even if you hate as a traditionalist, it has been in consideration. I think you still have to consider it. I don't think it's I think it's relatively ignorant to just kind of toss it off and believe in only a traditional side of things. Do I want an electronic zone? Most likely not. I think I prefer the general human error side, but I understand the benefits of it. But the one of the things I don't think we're considering is the impact it could have on minor league development if they decide to implement it at lower levels of the minor leagues. And I tied this specifically to the Nate Freeman column, because if zones are bigger at lower levels and AAA is more representative of the major league zone if you start putting electronic strike zones in lower levels of the minor leagues what you're doing is you're shrinking the zone down there because you're standardizing it across levels so i was just really interested in everyone's thoughts i shot you a text i shot some other people in the industry a text just to kind of pick their brains and see 
And I think it's fascinating. My, my favorite response was from an individual named Dan Blute. He's a former indie ball pitcher for the Sugarland Skeeters, Long Island Ducks, I think. And he pitched at UMBC, I believe, Division One baseball for a couple of years. He runs a, runs a training facility out in Normal, Illinois, now really cool guy on Twitter. And uh, I always ask him random stuff because he played and he has a very cool perspective on this. And what he said was that it's going to, uh, paraphrasing here, weeds out poor command guys very quickly. And he said that it increases substantially the struggle for those who can stick around this, stick around in the minor leagues. And he says that most guys don't have the command to pitch in the majors, which is not really too surprising. But he said that's going to stand out if a change like this comes through. You're going to see at lower levels yeah. of the minor leagues how poor some of the command is. And it's going to lead probably to extended game times, game times in lower levels of the minors and a lot of other things. I just thought it was interesting just because I don't feel like we're obviously minor league trended. So we need to consider this. If, if Manfred is wanting to go in an electronic strike zone like the pitch clock, they might actually bring it into the lower levels of the minor leagues first. Maybe maybe they do straight double A, triple A. Maybe they do high two and some other levels and stuff. But uh, it's just it's interesting to me because because we don't know how it's going to affect player development if we're looking at guys now with shooting up rock walk rates five to eight percent because the zone is is ten percent bigger on the board or ten percent smaller on the on the borderlines on the pitches around the zone and I'm I'm interested to see but um it's again again we're looking at pie in the sky kind of idealism here in terms of just kind of throwing ideas out there and, and projecting what the ramifications could be but something to consider when you think about the electronic zone is how it affects the minor yeah. leagues any any thoughts overall Ralph. Yeah, and I think I think you know you hit the nail on the head, and I think it's sort of what I had mentioned to you too as well. Is it's just you figure it's got to impact the guys that that work on the edges a ton, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also going to help the guys that are sort of surgical on those corners that maybe sometimes don't get those calls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're guys that consistently sort of get, um, we'll say for lack of a better term, squeeze sometimes. On you know on the, on the corners and they pick them so well, potentially you know those guys might actually benefit from it. So I, I don't know. I I think it could go either way for a lot of players, and I, I never want to say that absolutely it's going to do this to everybody that's like this type of a, a pitcher because ultimately we have to see what happens, right? We just we have to see how it impacts everybody. And it's probably going to be on a case by case basis, just based on what their arsenal is, you know, how they throw their fastball, how they throw their, their breaking pitches, you know, are there breaking pitches stuff that they can land in the strike zone ever, or are they just completely wipe out pitches? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, it impacts all different types of pitchers. And I just think there's so many different, you know, arsenal types and, and, and different types of throwers that, yeah, the only thing we know absolutely is the guys that don't really have great commands as you know, as, as, uh, as Dan, you know, so eloquently put it, um, ultimately those guys are the ones that are going to struggle the most. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I just I always like bringing up stuff like that, but Ralph, what do you say about closing out the show here? Last 20, 25 minutes or so with the five sure. by five we normally do. I'll start it off just cause we already kind of talked about Gorman. Um, again, I'll just kind of reiterate 222, 83, 41, really quick hands on the inside two home runs tonight. Um, facing a little more left-handed pitching to so that striker rate is up to right around 38% right now. And um, he's probably going to stick in the Midwest League, I would bet, to start next year as well, and then hopefully maybe kick up to Palm Beach by the end of next year. Timetable's interesting. Really good power bat from the left side. This is a, a prospect that Carlos tend not to have, is this kind of pure power guy. Really interested to see what happens going forward. I think he's one of the guys that a lot of people are going to target in Fritzer player drafts. I will still stand with a lot of the college bats ahead of him, but I still love me some Nolan Gorman. Ralph, who's your number one? Sure you do. My number one is the Braves' <laughs> Austin Riley. 
He is a third baseman on the cusp of the majors with some power. I guess this is where Gorman sort of want, wants to end up. And let's hope that Gorman's a little bit better than Riley. That's not to say that I don't think Riley <laughs> is great because I do think Riley is great. He's finally on a hot stretch uh, after you know following a really cold period post a knee injury that robbed him, I think, in, of pretty much the entirety of June. If you remember, you know, it, it forced him to miss a month. Uh, we are often, you know, so, sort of forget uh, how these injuries can impact players and, and how it can, you know, guys, though they're ready to play, they're not necessarily 100 percent clicked in timing wise, everything else. You know, it, it took him a little bit for him to sort of find his footing, but he's really found his power stroke uh, over the last month, especially uh, over the last, I guess, you know, five games, kind of like Gorman. He's got another bit of a homer streak. He's got three homers now in the last five games, and he's hit really well for the month of August, especially month over month when you compare it to his July numbers where um, the batting average was sort of pedestrian. Now I think he's up to maybe like a 280 in August, and the power was sub-400 slug in July. He's well above 500. might even be close to 600 slug for the month of August, and we're almost done here as we're recording on the 24th. So I think that's really good to see because of the emergence of uh, Johan Camargo. I don't think there's much of a shot that we see much of Austin Riley at the major league level. Maybe when rosters expand, potentially he gets like 15 at-bats or something like that with the Victor Robles last year where it's kind of a surprise. But uh, I do think we, we see him back in AAA next year, and there's an opportunity for him early in the year to come up and potentially be an impact player with the Braves. I think he's got power. I think he's got decent hit. I don't think it's great. He's always going to swing and miss, but he walks just enough, makes just enough contact with that good power. Plus he plays a, a really solid third base. He's got a gun for an arm. This is another third baseman, similar to Bobby Dahlbeck that we talked about before. Only unlike Dahlbeck, he was a prep guy, not a college guy, but a two-way prospect, a guy that had a serious gun. I think, you know, was, was touching like, you know, low to mid nineties with his fastball in high school. So he's got an arm. He's tightened up the body. He's really worked hard in the field to tighten up his defense that he's got an above average glove. I think he's another guy that's going to be sort of your, your classic sort of power hitting decent average, good in the field, third baseman. Um, I put, you know, a, a 60 future grade on, on Riley. I like him a lot. Who's your number two? I, you've always been a big Riley guy. I think you've turned me on to Riley more as the time progresses. Too. My number two is, is Luke and Baker, a very different body type than probably anyone in baseball. This kid is huge. I saw him live for the first time. And uh, he's a TCU guy, really blonde hair, really big guy. He's 6'4", six, six, 265 is what Fangraphs has him as. I wouldn't be shocked if that's Ooh. pushing near kind of that 280 window. He is a large human, that's very, big very tuna. big lower half. He, he's a big tuna. Um, he can, he's got some crazy, crazy raw pop, too. I uh, didn't actually see him really hit anything too, too hard. He had a really nice deep fly ball to left field, I think, on a ball that he just missed. But he's a really big guy. I think that the knock on him is that this is probably what about 20 speed looks like. It takes a lot, a lot of energy to get him going on the acceleration side of things, especially on the bases. On He's playing first baseman, obviously. He can't really move off that. So the, the big question is really... Yeah, the, the big question is really what on earth the role is because the Cardinals are gonna have are gonna have a couple guys like this, and at some point they're gonna have to start sacrificing some defensive prowess to put up with guys like this. So I, I know that Baker I think was their third or second round pick. Or no, yeah, I think he was the third round pick. I know they went Mateo Gill, Luke and Baker. He was their third round, and then they went um, the kid from Wake Forest. So I can't remember the name of, but 
But Luka Baker is huge. I mean, he's 22% striker rate, 9% walk rate, which is actually a little bit more disciplined than Gorman right now. 280, 351, 440 in the Midwest League. It's a good bat. It's a, it's advanced for the Midwest League from my eye and watching his, the first three at-bats I got to see of him. Um, but again, it goes back to the role. They have Malcolm Nunez. They have uh, Nolan Gorman. They have Alaris Montero. They have so many of these guys who are very, very good hitters. Um, but are probably a little bit on the eh to I don't like it body side of things and speed side of things defensively as well. So he's a big guy. He's got some pop. I just don't really know what the long-term picture is. More more or less probably some kind of uh, destination AL first baseman who platoons a bit and ends up hitting a lot of home runs. But I think the bat's semi-legit here, honestly. is, is As big as he is, he's got decent bat speed. Um, can't say I was in love with what I saw, but I don't think I was really uh, dissuaded from him at all. So again, you put a, you put a polished college guy into uh into the midwest league and i think he's gonna hit pretty well and that's clearly what lucan baker's been doing ralph you're number two my number two is a guy that uh was getting hyped up by john eshelman this week and i tend to trust john but he's also a guy that i've been following pretty closely for the last year because i own the reds in the raz 30 that's the reds Uh. as i just said it it's reds (laughs) anyway um this sort of a scouting over results type guy i'm not gonna go into what the numbers are but what you know was sort of told to me by by John and what I've seen in a lot of different video there's been a lot of stuff that came out from my baseball America that's gotten looks at him and fan graphs uh as as well as 2080 so I've watched a lot of Heatherly and that's Jacob Heatherly like I mentioned uh and he's a big lefty not a huge guy but very solidly built um you know the thing that I love about him he might have been mentioned in a five by five earlier this season but the thing I love about him is he's got three pitches that have 55 grade potential. He's got a fastball that sits 91 to 95 uh, and, and probably sits at like 92 or 93. He's got some run to the arm side on that fastball. It's a really good pitch um, Curveball, you know, good separation in terms of speeds, 76 to 80 sits like 76, 77. It's got like one seven break. It's a total swing and miss pitch, a pitch that he can absolutely bury for, uh, 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 for swings outside the zone. Maybe he has some trouble burying it in the zone. Um, then he's got a change up, sits about 82, 83. Good arm side action, flashes some run and some of the best tosses that he has on that. You know, average future command, good arm action. Uh, delivery is a little con- inconsistent. He's got a low three quarters uh, delivery. So he definitely sweeps in on lefties too. He's going to be a hard guy to sort of to sort of pick up. So yeah, I, I'm I'm all in on Heatherly. I think he's a guy that, eventually finds a impact role in the major leagues, whether it's as like a leading reliever or as sort of uh, a good mid rotation guy. But I think this is an interesting arm and the numbers aren't great. Like I said, but I think ultimately, you know, you look at the stuff that he has, this is a really interesting mix. He has three pitches that could be above average and potentially flash plus. I like it, Ralph. I like it a lot. You always unearth guys for me that I can't say I know too much about. So this is always good to kind of uh, yeah, keep no me involved with some of the deep, deeper guys in, the, in various systems. Yeah, he's only um, 20 I want to well. mention – I love it. I love it. I want to mention Ryan Weathers, <laughs> who I've also mentioned, I believe, probably twice in this show. But I want to get into him a little bit more than just saying that he's been promoted to Fort Wayne. 
Um, interesting arm here. Obviously drafted in the first round by the Padres. Probably going with another lefty here in terms of um, just a pitcher. Another young high school lefty pitcher who he likes. When he went with, with Gore in the prior year, doubled up with Weathers. Weathers is a very different pitcher than Gore, in my opinion, though. Gore has a much more interesting delivery. I think he's a lot more fluid. He's a lot more athletic. Weathers is a little bit more like an upright pitcher, a little bit more of an upright guy. The body isn't as great. Obviously, the son of Dave Weathers here. I think he probably projects out being more like an average to slightly above average pitcher at the future peak value, whereas Gore, I think, could be an, a mid-rotation to upper-rotation piece, which is a substantially more valuable than a general rotation arm. But um, I liked what I saw in his first start. I watched some of it. It was actually streamed on MILB TV. Most of the Fort Wayne games aren't, but this one was because I believe they were out in Great Lakes, facing the Great Lakes Loons, which is the Midwest League affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Really good spin on his curveball. I liked it. I think the elevation on his fastball, too, jumps really well. And I didn't think the repeatability in his delivery was great. He's got a little swagger on the mound, but he's only 18 at the same time. So we're going, we're going really, really deep into the woodwork. He's he's a really young kid. He looks really young. Even Gore is probably mature a little bit, just in terms of his stature and his athleticism and stuff. He doesn't really look like a kid anymore. But some of the pictures I've seen, Ryan Weather, this kid is a kid. He is a kid, and it's it's awesome to see guys yeah. like this jump up to the Midwest League. Um, there, he, he, the start wasn't great. I don't think he was pitching too, too well when he was down to before being promoted, but he's got to keep an eye on. He's got us promoted. And this is again, just another piece that Preller is adding up. I think that he creeped onto the MLB pipeline top 100. So they actually think pretty highly of him. I really am excited to see him start live. I think that I'm going to line up with either Patino, him or um, possibly his father Hernandez again, but I'm really hoping for Patino and Weathers just because I haven't seen either of them this season yet somehow um, for next weekend when I head out back to Fort Wayne. Ralph, you're number three so my number three might be the hottest player in all of baseball right now like on the planet and that would be Vidal Brujan of the high a affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays that would be the Charlotte Stone Crabs this kid is awesome I think I talked about him actually in my last five by five I may talk about Vidal Brujan every week because I'm apparently a Rays <laughs> fan who's obsessed with Rays prospects, but I know Jason's talking about this guy a ton. I saw him last year, actually I think with Hudson Valley, I believe is the uh, short season New York Penn league affiliate of the Rays. I might be wrong. I think it's Hudson Valley. I saw him last year in low. So I actually did get a decent look at him. Like I said, in low last year uh, for like two or three games too. So I saw a lot of them and he looked awesome there. He's looked even better this year. He kind of struggled maybe like the first month or so of the season, but he's come on like, Oh my God, like absolutely. Like he was shot out of a cannon. It's been insane. The numbers, uh, while I was at Bowling green, the Midwest league were uh, 313 batting average. Um, uh, the on base was uh, 395. Slugging was uh, 427. Now that's all ticked up. I mean, his slugging is actually all the way now up to uh, 688 in 17 games in high A. Uh, the on base percentage is 506. And then the batting average there is 406. And he might have had one of the greatest games in baseball history the other night. And I'm not even kidding. It was a game, a game that we've never seen a player actually uh, have a stat line like this in Major League Baseball history dating back to the beginning of time he went three for three with two walks he had two homers five rbis three steals and four runs scored uh it was a near perfect statistical game the only way he could have gone better is if he went like five for five with five grand slams i don't know what else he possibly could have done i think it was one of the few times in history anyone's had two homers and three steals in the same game this kid is only i think 19 years old uh, no, excuse me, 20 to turn 20 back in February. So he's doing 20 years old, 
switch hitter. Um, Jason has talked about all the raw uh, power that he actually has in that bat because of the bat speed and because of the loft. Plays a decent second base. He's unbelievably fast. I didn't even mention what the steal numbers were uh, so far in the year. He's got 54 steals, uh, and he's only been caught 19 times. So, you know, this is an impact player. We might be looking at an absolute breakout right now when you put all the pieces Mm -hmm. together of what he's doing and putting it in historical sense. That's amazing, yeah. Um, I've heard a bit about Bruhan, and I think that he's going to start to fly into a lot more radars. The Ray system, man, is just – these guys just come out of nowhere. It's unbelievable yeah. in terms of how deep that system is. I love it. Um, my number four is Mike Siani, who's a name I'm pretty sure we mentioned back during draft season. Siani was drafted 10th round, 109th overall to the Cincinnati Reds. He's slashing 305, 368, 396. A lot of, a lot of contact for him, I think, which is really good through 41 games in rookie ball. I like his stance a lot. I saw some video from the back of him in, I think, Greenville, I want to say. Um, open stance, a little bit of a crouch, closes off pretty well, a little bit of a stride. His bat is really quick. Um, I'm not sure if it's 20 home run power as it currently sits with his current swing. It feels a little bit like Granderson, but a little bit more level in terms of his bat path. Really nice gap power. I think he can end up with a lot of doubles and lower levels of the minor leagues. But he's he's one of those guys I think it's really nice to conservatively dream on because if you adjust a little bit, maybe he taps into more power with the current profile he has, current discipline and contact ability he has. You can you can start to squint and see a much better player than the current one you see. I think he's a really nice guy to grab in some some of the later rounds of first-year player drafts. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to be looking into the 10th round for guys, but Siani's a guy I think can end up being a really nice value for the Reds. Even if he doesn't end up being a, a stud everyday player, there is a chance I think that he could project out to be an everyday kind of guy and right around that 50 future value which in the 10th round of an MLB draft I think is is extremely extremely valuable the Reds are one of the teams I think that me and Ralph both really liked the 2018 MLB first year player draft of in terms of the crop of guys they got and Siani was one of the reasons of that especially after Siani signed so it's great to see some success from Siani in Greenville right now Ralph your number four yeah your number four yeah so my number four is an old friend that's sort of back again a guy that was a really hot prospect pickup maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, and he missed all of this season, I think most of last season, with an arm injury. That would be Patrick Weigel of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he's currently rehabbing in the GCL. He's now making his way back from Tommy John surgery, and he actually was the follow-up guest the week after me on the Platinum Sombrero pro- podcast that I did a, a week or so back. The Braves podcast I might have mentioned to you that I did, uh, I think right before our show as well, when we recorded last week. But uh, either Mm -hmm. way, um, he was the guest this week, and it was a really interesting interview because he sort of talked about his rehab process. He actually mentioned that he had injured his UCL originally back in 2015. And so the reason they decided to have surgery and not go the PRP route was he had tears on both sides of his UCL. So as he said, for like a year or so before that, he had sort of been adjusting his mechanics to sort of make up for some of the pain that he felt at times in terms of his arm action, his arm angle, and some of those things. And he said this is the first time that he's felt like he's been completely healthy. There's been reports. He wouldn't confirm it. There were reports that he had hit triple digits with the fastball. He was working upper 90s. Huh. Uh, Jason Woodell saw him down in the GCL because obviously he gets brave looks down there. And I think he had said that he was uh, – somewhere like 95, 96, but the curveball looked good. The slider looked good. He was mixing the change up. The legit four pitch guy. He's got a big body, um, you know, big right-hander, six, six, two forty. I think he might be back, man. I mean, he should move pretty quickly. If he can get the innings onto his arm, 
and, and, and if his stuff ticks up a little bit, that happens sometimes happened with Walker Bueller. He's a really interesting uh, sleeper going into next season that maybe some people have forgot about him. You can sneak him in there and he may get some major league looks next year. Cause he was right on the cusp of the majors. I mean, you know, he threw 41 innings in Gwinnett in 2017. I love it. I love it. I loved Woodow with all the looks down in the, down in the Southeast part of the United States. It's great to get, uh, get his uh, thoughts I, on things. I love his, I, I love his sometimes I wish he didn't so. have children. Oh, I love my kids. <laughs> my number five to finish out my five by five here is a name that um, I, I've seen some buzz about. Actually, I didn't really expect to see much buzz about, but because he's doing pretty well in Palm Beach, um, Alaris Montero through, I'm not sure how many games I could look that up very quickly, but is slashing 333, 359, 500 with Palm Beach after being promoted from Peoria. His bat is a little bit high right now. It's over 500. I think it's more of a hot start. His strikeout to Walker really isn't too predictive right now either. I think it's sitting um, a little bit different than the normal average we're used to looking at, but because he's making so much contact, I think that it's kind of artificially bogged down on the walk rate side of things. This guy has good discipline. This guy, for me, has about a 55 future hit. I think he can get to that. This is a, another one of the Cardinals bats that's legitimate and in terms of in terms of just the pure ability he has, but the body isn't great, speed isn't great, defense isn't great. This again goes back to some of the guys I was talking about, like Gorman and Luke and Baker. You sense a theme here with the Cardinals. And again, I really don't know what the role is long term. I guess you could keep him at third base, but I think it's maybe more feasible he ends up as a first baseman. I really know if they could get him more mobile. I know he's pretty young, but for his age, again, the body isn't great. I don't know if it's going to improve. It's hard to project out stuff like that. I can't say I'm the best at it either in terms of projecting out frames and if guys are going to lose or put on weight or or become a little more versatile and agile on the field and be more mobile than they have been in the past. But the thing that stands out with Montero the most is that he was too advanced for Midwest League. He might even be kind of right on par with what's going on in the Florida State League right now in terms of his pure bat-to-ball barreling ability. Um, I don't think it's future plus power uh, in the 60 range. I think it's more kind of 50-55 as average to plus. But you mix that and it ends up being a regular, I think, everyday bat in the Major League lineup. I think this guy can end up being like a 270 hitter long-term and can put up some home runs. I think that's productive. Reminds me almost a little profile of like a gyro Munoz than the Cardinals have where it's maybe not maybe more power probably than Munoz maybe a little bit less on the hit tool side of things but Munoz has been really good really good discipline it reminds me a bit of Montero Munoz obviously a little more versatile defensively in the field but Montero is a name I believe on uh someone tweeted something out on a projection chart of of success in the Florida State League over the last X amount of years in certain sample size and Montero is right with names like uh Sano and Flagler Jr. Yeah, it was Counter Kirkon. Wow, he's getting a lot of mentions in this podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he but, yeah he's really got some great, great content. He did, yeah. And Montero's right in that window just kind of saying, you know, historical precedent of how well Montero's playing. Bodes very well for him. It's just I think some of the other guys are maybe a little more mobile and a little more appealing on other sides of the ball than Montero. But, again, I literally like Montero. I've seen him a bit in Peoria probably two or three times, I think. And uh, he's out in the uh, Midwest League All-Star game, so three times. And I like what I've seen. I think that's a great bat. So another one of the guys probably deeper in, in Dynasty Leagues that is, um, I, I like to target. I think he's a good guy to kind of scoop up because I don't think a lot of people yeah. really looking at him. Although he'll probably, when they start to reset some of these top tens and systems and stuff like that, maybe creep on us some cardinalists and people start to care about him a little bit more. So, Ralph, you're number five to close out the show. Well, I was going to say, I actually have a Dynasty League where I own Montero and I have Bruhan. Oh, yeah, oh. not too bad. Not too bad. I like I, it. I, I don't. The other three guys you mentioned, I don't own. I don't have Riley in that league. I don't have Heatherly in that league, and I haven't had a, jan- a chance to draft my number five yet. That would be Jared Kalenic from the Mets. 
he's been on a hot streak his last 10, man. He's really turned it on at Kingsport. We've heard a lot about that team because they've had a couple of other big performers, especially statistically in Louis Santana, uh, who's a really diminutive second baseman. that's very, very limited in terms of his profile. You should go read John Eshelman's uh, report on him. That's really interesting. He actually talked about him a lot on the baseball show because Andy Singleton being a short guy is a big fan of, Louis Santana. <laughs> the other guy that's much better than Santana, if you're getting all the press on this team, other than Jared Kalenic, other than Mark Vientos, who I also like quite a bit, is uh, Sh- Chevron Newton, who's a really solid power speed option with legit uh, shortstop profile. Like he's a legit up the middle defender. And my number five, who is Jared Kalenic, obviously the first round pick of the Mets. Uh, this Kingsport team has been getting a lot of attention. They have Louis Santana, who's had a great statistical season. Go read Eshelman's report on him, by the way. Uh, he got into it a little bit with Andy Singleton on our baseball uh, show over on Fan Tracks earlier this week because Andy loves Louis Santana, but he's kind of like a maxed out second baseman at 19 that can't really throw from the second base position, which says a lot about how weak his arm is. Uh, another guy there that's Chevron Newton, who's been awesome. Mark Viento. So it's an exciting team, but Jared Kalenic was obviously their first round pick. So he's a guy that has all of New York Mets fandoms eyes on him. And he's turned it on over the last 10 games. He's slashing 351, 442, 622. He's had two homers in his last four games. He homered on Tuesday night as well as on Thursday night. He's got four steals over that period of time. And in that 10 game stretch, nine K's four walks. So it's good to see the statistical numbers coming together at advanced rookie ball for this kid. He's a cold weather kid, high school guy, prep guy. I think we got to remember that he's got all the tools to be successful. Um, I think he got some unfair Mickey Moniak comps. I think only because he's an across the board kind of guy without a huge standout tool. I kind of disagree with that. I think there is a standout hit tool here. I think Kalenic is going to be a legitimate six, six guy with six power and six and six hit with a little bit of speed um, and the ability to play a very good, you know, outfield. So I'm excited about this kid. I think he's a great prospect. The more looks we get on this draft class mm-hmm. at the professional level, the more I love this draft class. They are I just, agree. It's great. I mean, it's just busting at the seams in terms of outfield talent, whether it be from the prep level or the collegiate level, this is a great, this is going to be a great draft. I think it's going to end up being one of the very, very, very productive ones in terms of the assets we see. Yes. I I love it, Ralph. I love it. Ralph, good show as always, man. Uh, Any parting words for the folks or are we going to let them go here? Yeah, go and follow the at Prospects Live Twitter account. That's at Prospects Live. Follow it. Um, We're going to be doing some fun stuff, pumping out a ton of video, pumping out a ton of information. Um, Comment on the post. Follow Lance. Follow me at Prospect Jesus. Thank you, people, for listening, man. We love you guys. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out.
The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.